0: Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: Hello everyone, I'm Clint Yates on the iUniverse line today. Are foster children really valued? Are any children really valued? Will former foster children get over their past? Will the painful legacy of foster care ever in. Carol Lucas is proud to present a unique book to people with very unique issues, former foster children. It is her desire that hope for them will be found in the pages of this book. And that's what we're going to talk about today on the iUniverse line. The book is On the Bridge to Healing, Will We Ever Get Over It by Carol Lucas. And she joins us by phone in her home state of Michigan today. Hello, Carol. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm I'm doing terrific. So I guess the first question, and it seems kind of obvious, especially what I've been reading about you in your book. But this is very personal <laughs> to you like because this book is a uh, uh, kind of about you, isn't it? Well, it's about me and about five
2: hundred thousand other foster kids that are in the system at any given
1: time. Well, you, but I, I guess what I was. Asking is the whole genesis of this book came from your experience as a foster child and needing to to share what you think will or what you hope will be some help for other foster children.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Years ago, I went looking for a support group for former foster kids and uh, and discovered that there wasn't one. And so I decided to form something myself, and it just sort of evolved into something bigger than I thought it
1: would so this is 61 different stories is that right tell us a little bit about how your book has come together
2: uh well I I formed a support group for former foster kids and then I started a website for it and I've got all the material on the website for people to have for their own personal meetings. uh AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, know the 12-step programs, and throughout the course of doing that, it dawned on me that I should perhaps put a book together, because a lot of foster kids don't have access to the website, and I really want to promote the support group, which is called FACTS, Fostered Adult Children Together, and so that's how the book came about, and I um, interviewed, you know, quite, there's 61 stories, including my own, um, so and tell, I interviewed most of the people over the phone. A few people sent me their stories, and all I did was edit them, but the vast majority of them were done through phone interviews.
1: So tell us, uh, Carol, tell us a little bit about FACT. Now, are you trying to grow this to a national kind of organization uh, uh, like AA? Or, well, tell me it's about,
2: just, if you're familiar with 12 step programs, it's just a self help support group where people can get together and. And um, and you know work through their their issues like alcoholics work through their issues with alcohol their drug addiction you know so whatever what, it ends up is wherever God wants it to end up I'm hoping that it can just reach the people it needs to reach.
1: You point out in some of your material, uh, Carol, that foster children have some unique uh, issues to address in their life. For those of us who are not familiar with the foster care system, what are some of those issues?
3: Well,
2: I think the biggest issue would probably be the severe abandonment that they have gone through, uh, being ripped away from their families and and uh, not knowing how to cope with that loss and it's never really dealt with. Maybe it is a little bit more today and our um today. Um children get some therapy and counseling that they need. But um I mean people who have not been yanked away from their families and traumatized like that can't really understand what it's like for foster kids. And to be Many of them are put in one home after another, and the emotional issues get worse with each home, and so the the problem gets uh, compounded, Um, and a lot of former foster kids are either homeless or in prison or having a lot of problems, and unfortunately, a lot of times it gets repeated in in families. It, It got repeated in my own, so I know. Um
1: well tell us a little bit about your story Carol you were you were in the foster system as a as a child
2: Yeah I was uh put in care when I was just 6 and I was there for about 6 years 5 years and um I'm just fully aware of how I was affected by it because I uh, when I was around 19 I started drinking to escape my pain and then uh, uh, got sober when I was about twenty six twenty seven and have been sober since. but throughout the course of my recovery, it began to dawn on me that I had a lot deeper issues than just drinking, and that's when I started looking at my childhood and how I was affected by it and so and when I went searching for a support group that I knew I needed, I couldn't find one, and so I just decided that I was going to form something myself in my own community and it just like I said the thing just it, it ended up getting a lot bigger than I that I had plans for but I'm a spiritual person and you know God was in charge and he had bigger plans than I did
1: Carol, do you think society in general has has a tendency just to kind of, with a lack of a better way to say it, just sometimes forget about the, the foster system and the kids in foster care? I think I think
2: people, as human beings, as in a, as a general rule, are just so busy in their lives that they don't take the time to think about you know their own. Uh, they don't look at the bigger picture, and they don't. They just. They just don't. They just don't see it. You know. They uh most people are really kinda of selfish in a lot of ways. I mean they're just self they're in their own world, you know. They either want to push it under the carpet or they just don't care enough to, to I I don't know. It, it just a lot of people are just ignorant. They just don't know.
1: What what are some What are some of the things, Carol, you think communities can do? uh, I I know that your book really is for more of foster kids or former foster kids, but what is it a community could learn from the book or learn from your experience? What is it that they could do better to make the foster system better?
2: Well, number one, when these kids are taken out of homes and put in strange homes, they need immediate attention. Not 20 years later, when they're, you know, after they've um, ended up in prison or they're out in the street prostituting themselves because they have nowhere else to go or anybody to turn to, um, they need immediate attention for their emotional issues. And to be putting kids in those kind of situations and treating them like they're supposed to just get over it and be thankful for the home they're in is a bunch of nonsense. Cause they're not thankful to be there they want to be home with their families you know and you know you, you can people just don't understand what these kids are going through emotionally you know they 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 act like they're just supposed to get over it
1: most of the, know, you,
3: yeah.
1: yeah most of huh? these kids most of these kids Carol they they obviously aren't there voluntarily the large majority no, of them—they've been pulled out and of some kind of situation.
2: They don't want to be there,
1: trust yeah. me. And a lot of them don't but understand. They don't want to be there. Well, is that a fault of the not system? Their
2: fault. I think those one of the biggest issues, and and there's still a lot of stigma about it. Is that, that foster kids are walking around feeling like they did something wrong? They didn't do anything wrong. They were victims. It's not their fault their parents are, were neglectful or abusive or whatever, you know. It, they're in there because they were, because adults let them down, plain and simple. And they shouldn't be treated like it's their fault. And they feel that way until they get the help they need, and children, as generally will will blame other people because they think there's if they're the bad one then they can change themselves and make everything okay but it isn't okay and it's not their fault and you know everybody's affected differently I only know how I was affected and I know how the other 60 people I that shared stories with me were affected some are not so bad as others it depends on the person the experience um, you know the, the if they're getting the support they need, by support I mean emotional support, you know psychological help but you know, a lot of I think the thing that bothers me the most or what comes to mind the most for me is that these children go into foster care with big issues to begin with and a lot of people forget that. They they get the kid in care, and then they forget that these kids are already damaged. Like one girl said in her story, she said, we're already broken. Don't shatter us. You know. Foster kids come in the system already screwed up, and, and unfortunately, they end up a lot more screwed up, a lot of them. So. So I'm being as honest as I can be because I'm very honest and just for real.
1: So in, so in your book, Carol, you are talking to primarily um, kids or adults, really, that at one time were, were foster children. What is it you're hoping that, they're going, that that audience is going to get from your book?
2: Well, I really basically wrote the book for foster kids. If the general public wants to be involved or they want to read it, fine and dandy, but it's really there for foster kids. That is my primary purpose in writing the book, is to reach foster kids. I want them to know they're not alone. That's the main thing I want them to know, because that is a big, huge healing right there. It's just to know they're not alone, that there's other people who've gone through what they've gone through and actually do understand you know um they they feel isolated a lot of them so that's real important that they know they're not alone and that's really what the main thing that I want foster kids to know they're not alone and there is a way to to heal i mean it it takes time it takes you know i put in place 10 called the Ten Stepping Stones in the Bridge to Healing. It's based on twelve steps like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, but it is ten stepping stones. No. And it's a way for people to work through their anger and pain and, and turn their life over hopefully to a God as they understand him to be. And and reach out and, you know, be with each other and, you know, that's what really fact that's why I call it fostered adult children together. Because Uh, people, we're working through this together, we're not alone you know, and I've kept in touch with uh, a number of the people who've shared stories with me and uh, in fact one girl putting my book on Twitter for me Um, I just there's a lot of healing that takes place when you know you're not alone you know
1: and really when uh, when you use the word
2: the walls come crumbling down when you know you're not
1: when you use the word "together," that really—I have to guess that, from what I hear you saying—really, kids who have been in foster care are the only ones that really kind of understand what it is that uh, you've gone through.
2: That's it. That's it. I didn't write the book for the public. I mean, if they want to read it, that's fine. I can't. I can't. I can't cause that. But that's not why I wrote the book. It's for foster kids. You know, i that. That's why I wrote it. You know, um, we all have our language. We know, you know, just like a drug addict knows another drug addict. Well, foster no one foster kid knows another foster kid. We're in the same boat. We're on the same boat. Just like all alcoholics are in the same boat. It's it's uh, sink or swim. And we support
1: each other. Yeah, so your book is about, uh, also there's parts of it about fact. Again, as we mentioned uh, there at the the top of our interview, Fostered Adult Children Together. Now, that's kind of the model support group you put together in your community. And I know you have uh, a website with some more information. And uh, tell us about that where people can go to learn not only more about your book, but also about your your, support group. I don't have a
2: support group here in Michigan um i I thought this is hard to explain um I didn't actually form one here. I did it one time it just didn't work out and we we went our separate ways but um not that I'm against the idea. It's just that i as time went on, I began to realize that 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 I was supposed to be doing something bigger than just forming a support group in my area my My job is to to have the website and to help promote it to,
3: to anybody else
2: in the country or the world that wants it and to get this book out. So I haven't really been focusing on a support group here. I'm more focused on a...I have a bigger view of that now, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm just trying to reach out to whoever. Uh, there is the girl in California who's interested in forming meetings out there and, you know, England. I I'm, I'm more interested in helping other people promote their support groups hmm. if they if they
1: help. Okay, well tell us about the website where folks can go and learn more about that as as well as learn more in order your book.
2: Uh go. it's uh, just com. Simple.
1: Okay. Terrific, and of course your book is available there. The name of the book we've been talking about today is On the Bridge to Healing, Will We Ever Get Over It? It is available also as well through iUniverse. The author is Carol Lucas. Carol, thanks for being with us today.
2: Thank you very much.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying, to 14 ways to get a baby to eat, and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com.
0: Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Clint Yates. Welcome to the iUniverse Line today. The continuing story of Lieutenant Jeff Lacey is dangerous and sad. The story opens with Jeff's participation in a top-secret mission to observe Russian submarine missile tests. When he has a change of duty station, Jeff lands in the middle of a dangerous plot, and his beloved wife, Molly, is killed. In despair, Jeff retires from the Navy and soon finds himself working as an agent for the CIA and the United Arab Emirates. While there he becomes partners in the Mideast Construction Company, which leads him into unexpected and interesting situations. Jeff finally tracks down Molly's killer. That's just a brief description of the new book, Beyond Duty, by Jim DeFries. And Going to talk a little bit about his book today on the iView Universe line. First, a little bit more about the author Jim DeVries. He grew up in Southern California, worked for his father in his electric motor shop. He's one of five children, with two boys and three girls. His brother and he joined the Navy in 1951 following graduation from Excelsior High School in Norwalk, California. He was sent to Guam and later requested brother duty, so he was sent to an aircraft carrier with his own brother. At the time, they were operating off the coast of Korea and worked on the flight deck, pushing aircraft around and parking them to be ready for launch. Later, he spent nearly 10 years on a fleet diesel submarine. He'd been in the Navy almost 17 years when he was assigned to Navy Special Warfare Group Atlantic in Norfolk, Virginia. While at Beach Jumper Unit 2, he served as the operations officer of the unit. Also attended several schools and was qualified in parachute jumping, scuba school, expert pistol, and expert rifle. His last year in the Navy was spent in Europe, mostly on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean, where he served as an assistant officer in charge of the Special Warfare Task Unit Europe. His tour of duty, BJU-2, without a doubt, gave him the most information that he needed to write many of his stories of this nature. Along with his own experience, he had the opportunity to hear the Navy SEALs telling stories, many of which cannot be repeated. Some of the stories would fit right into the general plan. For his books. So, as we were talking with Jim, we asked him exactly why he decided to write Beyond Duty. He told us he had participated in or heard the stories about the activities, which he described, and felt reasonably confident that others would find the information interesting as well. He did mention on the inside of his book cover that Beyond Duty is a collection of stories about military or government missions and events that may be similar to actual actions. But he's modified these sea stories, as he calls them, to fit close to the actual incidents. However, the stories are, for the most part, not factual, maybe just... Based on fact. Now, a little bit be about Beyond Duty. Now the book describes a series of events, the life of Lieutenant Jeff Lacey, who has served in the U.S. Navy's on submarines, eventually ending up working for the CIA. Sounds familiar, just like our author, Mr. DeFries. Well the book is almost a record of the events of the life of Jeff Lacey. While in the Navy, Jeff became friends with a senior intelligence officer who sort of takes him under his wing, getting him involved in several clandestine operations. The book starts with Jeff, now a CIA agent, working with several local agents in Turkey where they observe and record the first launching of a missile from a Russian submerged submarine. The story continues with Jeff and his team participating in an attempt by the Russians to capture them. Jeff is later assigned to look into problems at the Loran Station, which transmit radio signals that, when combined with signals from other stations, provides a quick and easy way to determine exactly where you are on a navigation chart. Now, Jeff is sent to find out why the station is so far behind its predicted schedule for a major upgrade. The story continues with Jeff becoming involved when he marries his sweetheart, Molly, and how Jeff handles such things as the loss of his wife, Molly, and almost his own life as well as part of this book. Following his long physical recovery, Jeff decides to retire from the Navy, goes to work for a corporation, an international construction company, and takes an assignment in Algeria where they've lost several of their employees. Jeff is assigned the responsibility of finding them, which leads to a very interesting story, ultimately setting up an opportunity for Jeff to participate in the ownership of a construction company that specializes working in the Middle East. Now, if you're a follower of Jim DeFries, you'll know that this is just part of a series of books about Jeff Lacey himself, the lead character. The other books are Escaped Korea, Deep Cover, and Covert Operations. Now, these books follow a general theme or story, which includes the main character who becomes involved with various situations. All, of course, are worth your time in reading them. Now, Jeff Lacey, the lead man, exemplifies young men who enter our military with some drafted who do not have the goal of retiring from the military, but to serve their country and get out and then work in a civilian type of capacity. In this case, he expected Jeff did to do four years and work for his father in his motor shop. Well, Beyond Duty describes how military operations are also put together. For example, a senior intelligence officer signs a specific task to a type command intelligence officer, such as amphibious force or submarine force. They generally select an individual whom they believe is capable of carrying out a specific task, and in this book, Jeff Lacey is that person. Well, one of the obvious points is the ability of successful contractors to take advantage of opportunities that present themselves, and Jeff's work appears to prepare him for the next level of management. One of the features of his work, we're told, by the author is honesty. The story encourages honesty through example and then shows the benefit of honesty. One of the major characteristics that Jeff exhibits is his ability to stay in good physical condition while in the hospital recovering. Jeff continues to practice shooting and doing his physical training and exercise. So is this perhaps based solely on Uh, Jim DeFry's life. Well, Jim tells us only to the extent of life on board a submarine. The electronics involved in the Lorenz station leads him to feel very comfortable talking about the book because he has personal knowledge, personal background there. He also has been on the Black Sea and Athens and other parts of Greece and stationed on the island of Crete. So what makes this book a little bit different than maybe similar books along the same line? Well, DeFries tells us he suspects the difference between Beyond Duty and other books is the connection or experience with military lifestyle and the obvious technical connection for monitoring the Loran station's upgrade or a Russian missile launch. Uh, He does not believe he can write about life on a submarine or life in a foreign country like Arabia or Turkey if he hasn't actually lived there, which he has in parts of uh, his background. He believes the book Beyond Duty would be interesting and possibly helpful for almost anyone who reads it. He has received several positive comments from women who have enjoyed reading the book, particularly the references about attire and attitudes. A couple of things that he wanted folks to know about him. After retirement, he worked for five years for the Mobile Missionary Assistance Program, which is a non-denominational volunteer labor force to churches in most areas around America. The project consists of two weeks with work three days each week. The team mostly puts together six to eight workers, plus their wives who work on these projects. The book Beyond He describes the main character Jeff, who has a strong desire to be helpful to individuals in some companies or governments. He's convinced that is the trait most common, and they'll enjoy reading stories about that about workers. Uh, Jim goes on to tell us that he is retired from the Navy, entering as a seaman recruit, advancing to E8, CWO2, and lieutenant in a full 20 years. He's qualified in submarines parachuting scuba diving expert pistol and rifle shot was educated in the navy in electronics attending the naval electronics school at the great lakes plus he spent a year teaching electronics at radio b school it's an advanced radio school he's also a licensed electrical contractor and owned an electric motor and water pump repair shop as a civilian he's worked in 16 different countries around the world and he has been a world traveler too which of course adds to his knowledge in the background of of writing this book. Other than intelligence-gathering operations, he has included Jeff in activities related to discovering the causes of delayed construction of the upgrade at that Russian-type station, which had been delayed by a team of Russian agents. It was Jeff's job in this book, Beyond Duty, we're talking about to determine the cause of the construction delay and how to get that back on schedule. Jeff has been harassed by the Russians during his attempt to collect the load out of electronics equipment from a patrol boat that was sunk so lots of different twists and turns in this book. Now, Jim tells us one activity he enjoyed is writing stories based on extension of variations of his own experiences from some of the stories that he had the pleasure of listening to while sitting around a table in the lounge or even a local club. It has been surprising, he tells us, to sit down with his PC and write stories, all the while keeping in mind the basic characters and events that may tie all those stories together. Each of his books uses the same character, Jeff, and He's able to keep that going now through his uh, his last book that we're talking about today, Beyond Duty. At the present time, he's working on another book, he tells us. No name on that just yet, but it will be a continuation of Jeff's experiences and challenges. Again, the book we're talking about today on our iUniverse line is the book Beyond Duty. It's written by Jim DeFries. Jim tells us that he guesses it that nearly half of the books that he has written, who does it appeal to? Well, he says mostly men and women, kind of equally divided. He knows that no children really have read any of his books, but he's had good reports from retired Navy friends because they feel close. To some of those events that he has talked about in his books, not just uh, Beyond Duty, but some of his other books about Jeff Lacey. He does believe that throughout his book, though, the one thing he wanted to point out is that Jeff Lacey consistently shows honesty and dedication to his Friends. Again, the book we've been talking about today is Beyond Duty. It's from Jim DeFries. If you're looking for information on that, you can find that at the iUniverse line, amazon.com. Again, the name of the book is Beyond Duty by Jim DeFries. Thanks for joining us today on the iUniverse line.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
4: The title of the book, Noise, and I spell that N-O-I-S squared E, which stands for No Oil Imports from Shiite and Sunni Exporters, and the author is... Charlie Peterson and Charlie joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello Charlie. How are you doing? Great to have you with us uh, some really eye-opening, mind-opening kinds of uh, information especially dealing with the need for inexpensive energy. We're always at least they talk about it, the government talks about it, not nothing is ever done, because like you say, do you realize you're paying twice as much as you should at the pump? Do you realize that the world car ownership is doubling worldwide? You have agriculture's running out of water, and yet we send all this grain and pork and beef to uh, the Arab countries. I mean, the list goes on and on, doesn't it? Yes. And NOISE
5: um, stands for no oil imports from uh, Shiite and so many exporters. That's sort of shocking uh, announcement is, is really that America's energy policy is, I don't want to say non-existent, but uh, not executable. The, uh, energy, the energy sector and the government have been investing in alternative energy for quite a while, but I think now that they've actually had some true discovery, I think that they're, uh, uh, they have a dilemma. Known as facing the oil and gas business. But the share of energy origination is shrinking from the Middle East and growing all over the world. For example, people don't realize that they've, in a little town of 2300 in uh, Australia, known as Cooper Petey, they have uh, discovered uh, an oil source, which by the way is shale oil, um, that equals. Iran and, and possibly Saudi Arabia. And so the point is that the cost of energy should be cut in half. But When you see entirely what I'm talking about, you'll see that it is very disruptive. We also need to redirect our resources to fresh water. And uh, my belief is that the savings that we will achieve from uh, energy will um, enable. Um, plenty of money to be invested in water. Um,
4: You're calling for a Manhattan-type project.
5: Yes, yes. Uh, The reason is the um, people don't realize that that the source of energy, a lot of people have heard, heard about shale, but very few people have heard about methane source that exists under the ocean and under the permafrost equal to all the energy of all the sources combined or even worked in uh, Alaska and the uh, Japanese are looking at it off the coast of Japan. And um, that's an example of what's going on, but the, the, the changes that are occurring are even more dramatic. Um, it's Also, you can note by the uh, appearance of uh, battery uh, power that it's time to invest in uh, batteries because we need to grow our battery densities from three to five times and eventually to ten times, and uh, that, plus the things I discussed in my book, uh, will basically uh, move the entire business uh, in a new direction. Um, the, the, the fact is, the direction of energy is hydrogen, and, um, and, and it's mandating that it's time to move away from oil. Now, when you consider what's going on in the Middle East, you have to really ask, what is our policy and why is it? Because if we're talking about a region that is shrinking in, uh, as a source of energy, and we're talking about innovations that can occur all over the world, um, what is our policy? Obviously, uh, it, it has nothing to do with what's really going on, and that's, that's really the source of my book.
4: So I guess, you know, it's always, it's always follow the money, right?
5: Yeah, yes. And these investments, by the way, are going on, including, you know, the the, the government itself about four or five years ago funded several million dollars in uh, looking for this new source of energy. And basically they uh, have come up with a, uh, and a number of companies that are involved, something called uh, Sun Oil or thin oil and basically uh, it, it's a, uh, a process that um, basically takes uh, the, the, the energy from the sun and uh, breaks down water between hydrogen and oxygen and, and allows uh, the transformation of energy into a liquid form and basically that means that now uh, you now we all know that the sun uh, doesn't do a lot of work at night, but once you transform it to a uh, liquid energy, uh, you can transport it anywhere and uh, and use it. And the point is, the other point is that obviously, uh, seventy so percent of our Earth is covered with water, and um, salt water can certainly be extracted from this, and it has been. And everything I'm talking about is not a pie in the sky. I'm talking about things that have been done. Have been proven. The problem is the government needs to get orthodox and uh, say yes, we're going to do this. So I, in my book, I took over the presidency and um, went around the world and said to the Iraqis and the Iranians and the Saudis and uh, the Japanese and the Chinese and the Russians that um, look, we're in a new era. Uh, the sources of energy are growing on a major level, and um, it's time to change so uh and then through that uh, let you understand a little bit about uh, what's going on in Australia, for example, and uh, also the pressures that are on china and The fact is with all the talk you hear about china you know the United States and China have um, much more in common when it comes to our needs theirs because of the pure pure volume and ours because of uh... uh... uh problems with um, water for example So, basically i take to around the world and conclude that um... we really should create what i call a Manhattan Project and uh, give our people the, the specific mandate to uh develop a rollout strategy. I use the Manhattan Project because we need to be focused. And we also need to um, have the people understand uh, the importance of this and the relationship between war and energy. And it's always been our uh, problem since even before World War II. We're just going to culminate in another world war if we don't change. So basically uh, I Propose that we um, shift our energy policy and our actions,
4: and especially as you point out, the explosion in the population of the Earth over the next twenty, right. thirty years.
5: Yeah, I, I think I think that people don't. Yes, you know, people need to stop and pause on many of the highlights that I have in this book, and say a billion people in ten to twelve years. I mean, where have you ever heard that? At? No one said it. I mean, these are things, by the way, that I'm reporting that have, have been uh, discussed at length in many venues. But if you think of the last election, and even the, uh, you know, nobody's even talking about the subject. It's insane. So um, this is something I wish, you know, as an audience, I, I think every student in America, and the world for that matter, this is something that's very... Um, uh Importance of China and Japan, and uh, uh, and really all around uh, the Pacific. By the way, I, I I use the term in this book called the Pacific Century, and people don't realize it, but that's what the twenty first century is, and uh, and uh, it means that there's a uh, a really shift in focus due to the shift in population. So um
4: And we've heard from presidential candidates and new presidents for decades about having being energy independent, but here we still are. So right. it is all about the money. That is gonna be a hard, maybe impossible cycle to break.
5: Right. But the but the problem is we spent I can be repeating it, we spent a trillion dollars on nothing. They say, Well, you know, we lost eyes and all that. Sure, but the fact is, meanwhile, the government and the Air Force and the Department of Energy—they all know this, but it's not being discussed. Why? It's a simple question.
4: Why don't no you? Why even don't heard you? The
5: fact that the government spent all this money and that they found solutions—that they have found solutions—that they could, with a, with a, with a, a certain amount of focus, we could switch. The uh, automobile industry over to um hydrogen and it's been by the way in twenty fifteen all the Japanese and Korean uh, manufacturers are now offer hydrogen engines and the reason of this subject is coming up is because it's there. people don't realize it but the um hydrogen is the most plentiful uh, element in the universe and um the other thing is that the uh, fuel cell electronic vehicles, which there are many, many of, they produce the only the only uh... residue of their uh, engine running is water. So the the the, the green people, because of um, natural gas and shale gas, have been silent because they keep discovering more and more of it. But the point is. If you really look into the detail of this, you'll find, you know, that the whole subject of drilling could be washed away with sun gas. And it's just not being talked about. So my idea is to bring facts together, realize how much methane hydrate is being created all over the world and being tested, how much um, shale gas is being discovered all over the world. You know, how can you draw this into a policy? Well, I'll, I'll give you an example, and this is why you need this is why you need the Manhattan Project. Because, for example, we could say, well, we'll shift all of our uh, energy creation uh, for uh, home heating and electric, which is already occurring, by the way, away from uh, completely away from coal and towards natural gas, and. The result of that is, um, you can still take advantage of all the natural gas that's being discovered all over the world, but meanwhile, look towards electrical solutions as well as, uh, what I call sun gas or sin gas uh, to take care of transportation. And for China not to, you know, China's making trouble all over the world, um, uh, South China Sea, Japan, and we're just looking for more and more energy whereas if they uh took our initiative and committed to it with our commitment uh they could help their pollution problem as well as their goal of adding another million cars to the planet. Right. So you know, this is um, not a—it's uh, not something that's being discussed because no one will step up and say the oil and gas industry has to change.
4: Change and, never comes easy because change always means in a uh, change of the people, who, the providers of energy, and that means uh, you know the billions and trillions of dollars that are on the table. So it's uh, it's a very it, I love what you're saying, and, of course, uh, your book, NOISE, it's N-O-I-S-S-E, and as you pointed out, stands for No Oil Imports from Shiite and Sunni Exporters. So, Charlie, what's the best way to get your book?
5: Well, the, the book's available on all the uh, traditional uh, outlets, Amazon and uh, Barnes and & and, uh, et etc., and uh, as well as um, uh, through uh, iUniverse. So there will be plenty of availability, and it will be available in uh, hardback, softcover, and electronic form. Um, So it will be available worldwide.
4: Well, we appreciate you sharing some of your ideas from your book, Noise. Uh, Thank you so much, Charlie Peterson, for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you